A woman begins a journey, and adventure into college, where you'd expect new experiences, friends and opportunities to head their way. And my, 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 on all accounts this is true. But in what way is the juiciest part? A woman heads down a path of debauchery, giving in to her lust, giving in to the demon that resides in her, figuratively that is and allows herself to scratch an itch that only another person can reach. Welcome, listeners, to your five-act horror story, with today's episode being Act 1, Hell Has a Prison, by Red Nova Tyrant. This episode is not for little ears. It contains sex scenes and, almost said nudity, <laughs> murder and adult themes. So please... Keep the little ones away. Before I jump into this tale, I have the best news ever. A new white tea warlord, Lee Bauer. Let us raise our glasses, our mugs and mini teacups, should you have them, in his honor. <laughs> Thank you, mate, for becoming my white tea warlord. You're joining a rank that supports this show at a whole new level. You're shaping the path that this podcast takes. It's listeners like you that pour rocket fuel into this podcast engine. And Lee, I am really, really grateful. Thank you so much, mate. And just like Lee Bauer, I bring you, your white tea warlords, Matthew J. Bauer, the King of Kings, Maya, the Magnificent, Divided by zero, what a hero. I own cows, the shepherd of knowledge, and now, Lee Bauer, my new IT warlord, the man of power. Thank you all for supporting the show. You make my day. People ask me at work why I'm so happy, and it's because of you listeners that practically have me glowing every day. So thank you so much for causing my soul to glow in the workplace and put a pep in my step. And speaking of supporters that also have me glowing and putting peps in my steps, my Elgrain forces. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, and Robert Fisher. Thank you so much for supporting me. All of you are just fantastic. Now turn your lights off, the sound up, and get ready for a story like no other, mates. Act 1 Hell has a prison, and I've been one of its inmates for years. At least, it feels like it has been years. How long exactly is unknown at this point? When your entire life consists of transitioning between punishment and deprivation chambers, the amount of time that passed becomes obsolete. Believe me, I've tried clinging to those numbers to keep my sanity intact amongst many, many other mental distractions. But in the end, only a ragdoll body and a void mind allows one to stay even slightly sane down here. The stage should be set here, but it takes a lot of preparation. 
I was obviously alive at one time. I was a student at Dalhousie University, studying for an undergraduate degree in kinesiology. Everyone in my family had been pretty excited about my acceptance, even if it meant me moving away to the big city. But we managed, and I started off my freshman year with an excitement and an energy I'd never felt before. I welcomed it, gladly. The first grades I received back took that rush away though, ruining the confidence in my academics I had been carrying over from high school. Despite having worked very hard, my marks not meeting my own personal standards bothered me greatly, even after reassurance from a few new friends I had made in said classes. But there was this heavy feeling that clung to me throughout. My focus became shot. Anxiety would spike at the mention of a quiz or paper that was due. And don't even get me started on the actual day of the quiz. If there wasn't a window to gaze out at the admittedly grey winter sky every five minutes to clear my mind and relax over, I felt claustrophobic and tense. Soon my brain was more interested in guilting me over all the questions I'd skipped or probably got wrong instead of solving the one in front of me. This led to failure, which led to guilt, which cycled back into a lack of self-confidence and anxiety. My friends started offering to help me out with schoolwork, but I only felt guilty about accepting, as though I would be stealing from them, or mooching off their work. But with time, I felt as though I was learning the material on my own, and once I was able to return the tutorage, the feeling of guilt subsided. The reason I bring all of this up is to explain my state of mind come post-midterm season. I had just finished my last exam, and I was damn ready to let loose. Kelsey, probably the closest friend I had made at Dahl, was waiting outside of the exam room for me that day. It was a few hours past dinner time, so the two of us headed out and got some fast food. As I was munching down overly salted fries and guzzling a liter of cola, Kelsey drove the car past the university and back to her apartment off campus. I asked her why we were heading there, but the only response I got was a sadistic smirk. I didn't know whether to feel frightened or excited. So I just watched the concrete pass by in a grey blur. The fizzy taste of coke was replaced by the buzz of a cooler within five minutes of entering her front door. Lindsay, Amy, and Sam were all there. The remaining three of our study group and close-knit of friends. Already shaking their asses semi-drunkily and laughing from beneath an unhealthy layering of foundation and mascara, Kelsey kept herself from having anything, and she explained that there were going to be plenty at the party. What party? I asked pushing a rowdy Sam away gently. Look, Helena, you've been stressing yourself out over nothing. I mean, yeah, 60s ain't fun, but you can come back from that. So tonight, we've organized a little celebration for completing your first set of midterms ever. The valley girl voice creeped its way in as Kelsey wrapped an arm around me and pinched my cheek. I couldn't help smiling. Kelsey was just too kind to me. Always helping me with school, offering to buy anything I so much as mentioned in a throwaway comment. I guess being a sophomore, 
She wanted to help me and the rest of the girls enjoy our first year of university to its fullest. I had never been a massive party person back in high school. I had been to one or two. But there's no way I was going to skip out on an invitation to one where I wouldn't have to worry about cops busting me for underage drinking. The girls clambered into the back seat, Sam already having a hard time in her stilettos, while I took shotgun and Kelsey the reins once again. The sun was already setting when we arrived at a house in Dartmouth, and finding a parking spot took a little longer. Once that deal was done though, all hell broke loose as we tried to exit the vehicle. Sam was trying to hug Amy for some dumb reason, and the two played teeter tag while Lindsay, Kelsey, and I strutted up to the front door. I wasn't exactly wearing a fancy party dress like the others, but I was comfortable in my sweatpants and t-shirt. After all, why wear tight, restricting crap, while sitting for two hours and stressing over some pieces of paper? <laughs> no thanks. Kelsey introduced me to some more of her sophomore friends, who were surprisingly respectful and open to listening to some random kid she was dragging around. It felt nice to be treated like an adult, rather than expecting to carry adult burdens, but only be respected as much as the child is. Drinks were thrusted into my hands, and I worked my way through them over the course of the night. I wasn't fighting it per se. Tonight, I celebrated, and getting a bit more than tipsy was not going to be an accident. Five drinks in and more hours later, I was leaning and laughing off of Amy about some stupid shit that wouldn't matter in the morning. I felt warm and good, and wanted this night to go on. That's when Sam asked the question, Hey, Hella, you've slept with anyone before? My cheeks met the temperature of my belly, filled with booze, but I laughed and without an ounce of hesitation, answered, No. I just got out of high school. Her arm wraps around me, and I can smell the hoppy stench of beer stains off her shirt. Pay ya what I got. I've got 50 bucks on me right now. The Monopoly game bills that was my country's currency waved in my face like flags in the wind. You pick any guy here, or girl, I ain't judging. You, you pick one person, take him upstairs, and this is yours. <laughs> She snickered to herself and bent over crying as she placed the money in my hand. I hiccuped and looked at the bills. Fifty bucks. That was a pretty good bet. But just sleeping with anyone? I knew sex was pretty normal, but I wasn't sure if I wanted my first time to be off a bet. My eyes began to drift across the partygoers, looking for any potential mates should I accept Sam's challenge. One burly son of a bitch caught my eye, surprisingly. He was just chilling out on a couch, chatting with one friend, not in the kitchen doing beer pong while surrounded by a horde of women. Amy, who'd been listening to the bet, shifted away before I could say anything and went up to the guy. My face raised in temperature even more, and I had to turn towards Sam in an attempt to explain how I couldn't accept her offer. She simply smirked and pointed back to Amy, who had brought the guy over by pulling his wrist, chanting my name the whole way over. The guy's friends joined him, clapping and chanting his name, Mason, and he scratched his head, offering out a hand. Slowly, more and more voices joined in the serenade of names. I grew dizzy from the drone of their shouts, but through it all, 
one voice came through clear as glass. Go on. Go for it. I couldn't figure it out, but something about that voice filled me with lustful confidence. My heart resolved, and I took Mason's hand as he led me upstairs, away from the uproaring applause, trapped in that meaty cage of fingers, and my fate sealed. I was still quite nervous about the whole deal once we had entered the bedroom, but the alcohol and fading confidence from that voice allowed me to play it off a little more casually. First time, I take it? Mason asked, tossing his keys and phone on a nearby nightstand. I nodded, tucked my hair behind my ear. You? I've got a little experience. He sat beside me and took my hand gently, giving me a light smile. I'll take it easy for you. Nodding again, my eyes became focused on his lips. He noticed this and made the move. He progressed from base to base with surprising ease. I had made out once in the 10th grade, but I shocked myself as I grabbed at his belt and slowly undid its clasp. I think I surprised him too. It was painful, awkward, nothing like movies or TV make it out to be. I was never athletic so the tearing made me meekly call for a timeout after a few minutes. But like he said, Mason took things pretty slow. So slow I had almost debated asking him to go harder as time went on, though I bit my tongue in shyness. After a little bit though, the worry disappeared, and my heart no longer beat in anxious fear, but in lustful excitement. Feeling his body against mine, the warmth of skin against skin, the dripping of endless fluids. I embraced it. Words flowed from my lips I'd never dare speak before anyone else. Words I'd never thought of but must have kept locked away. My body ached for the most sinful requests and he reciprocated. The groans really stuck out of me. Neither of us sounded human when we peeked. I wondered if that was the case for everyone else. It should come as no surprise that we continued to see each other after that party. After making that kind of connection for the first time, I wasn't so willing to go our separate ways and find someone else. And when we were together, I felt that well of confidence fill back up. It must have been lascivious and dirty, but it filled the hole where my faith in my academic ability once stood. Luckily, Mason felt the same way, and both of us being students on campus made the relationship easy to handle. At least until I caught him, making out with another girl a few months later, when I came over to surprise him by staying the night. That pain stung for some time, but with great effort I kept myself together and focused that rage and misery into my schoolwork. I felt compelled to show him up, fueled by repeated thoughts in my head. He never loved you. He only wanted to use you. He got what he wanted. And so, he let you go. Weeks passed, exams came and went, and I headed home with my head high, supported by the pride in my success. I had scored quite well, and was looking forward to the wintry break, 
Of course, my family was more than eager to pester me about more than just the marks, asking constantly about any men I may have been with and all of the new friends I had made. And between Christmas dinners and family reunions, there was a building itch in my gut. It got particularly bad at New Year's, where I met up with some old high school friends to catch up and have a party, naturally. I could barely keep my hands off of Drake, one of my closer friends. I forced him to stay clenched in my lap, fighting my body's urge to slide one up his thigh, whilst shifting in my seat the entire party next to him. I think my loneliness was finally catching up with me, having been able to push it aside after breaking up with Mason. I just wanted to have access to that kind of closeness again. Nothing happened between us that night, but the urge grew tenfold after that party. I moved back to the university only two days later, but by then, it was almost becoming painful, both physically and emotionally. I broke down once I was alone. The pressure surrounding my heart eased off to push tears down my rosy cheeks, turned from the cold weather. The cry made me feel better about Mason, but I still craved his touch. I wanted something physical. My self-pity was corrected soon after, but the amount of grief I felt only greatened. I recall rushing down the white corridors of the city hospital, too panicked to listen to the nurses, trying to show me where Kelsey was. There had been an accident. Her car had hit a patch of black ice, smashing into the passenger side of someone else. She was still alive, but did not escape unscathed. I remember her face swollen and purple around one eye, a cut running down the other side. She was still intact mentally, well, as intact as one could be after an accident, but her car was another story. The thing was damaged pretty badly and though being salvageable, it was not something Kelsey could immediately afford. Knowing that the car was ruined struck a chord with me, though it must have been heart-wrenching for her. Kelsey was not from the richest family on earth, so she had a part-time job on the other side of town to make ends meet, including her apartment rent. Kelsey's financial situation was a hard one to solve. We had tried a fundraiser at the school, but with little success. Her family couldn't afford to help her out. Her insurance screwed her over, claiming that she should have driven more carefully, having known the weather conditions. Online fundraising didn't work out either. A smile cracked on my lips for but a fleeting moment while waiting for a date to show up one day. Remembering how Kelsey herself joked about why she was even at university if it was such a hassle like this. I remember her head turning on that sterilized pillow to face me. Perhaps that's the reason itself. To get a good job. To get out of the hassle. She responded. It was hard not to stare at her injuries, but I had nodded in agreement, squeezing her hand. The boy finally arrived and took a seat, apologizing profusely for being late. He was a little overdressed for just coffee, but judging from the text we shared, he was really anxious or excited about the arrangement. That itch had been getting persistently annoying. And it wasn't something any of my girls could fulfill. 
The consoling Lindsay had given me after hearing about Kelsey's state wasn't enough. Her hand stroking through my hair only made me crave another hand in another place so much more. I felt as though I was being teased. Endlessly. So after hearing the fairy tales and horror stories of online dating, I took my chances in the hopes of finding someone new. Unfortunately, I'd yet to hit gold, getting responses from either incredibly horny or ridiculously restrained guys from the area. Paul here was of the latter. The conversations were never interesting for either extreme, so I just sat down and gave some tired half-assed answers between breaks of silence, winding down the clock until it felt acceptable to leave. Before I could get up to go, he grasped my hand suddenly. He was shaking a bit, which unnerved me. Hella, I, I'd love to do this again, some other time. He finally managed to say, offering me a smile. Perhaps. And a wave were all I gave back before disappearing out of the cafe. My heart drummed in anger and my gut twisted in discomfort. I needed that connection badly. Misery made a request for alcohol, and so I tiredly stumbled my way to a quiet bar downtown. I cradled my beer for a few hours, watching the television talk about some kind of advancements towards the world's first space elevator and rising tensions about China and North Korea's possible alliance. Drowning myself out of reality, it didn't get rid of the itch of voices in my mind, screaming and kicking for sexual contact, but it made me care less about them. A hand clapped the top of my own, and my head whipped to the side to see an older fellow grinning from behind one hell of a beard. His hand was rough and calloused. You're a good looking one, lass. What's your name? I was about ready to put my kinesiology studies in reverse. When I noticed the itch, it didn't hurt, but it was profound. My heartbeat was slow yet strong, and the same voice for when I did it with Mason boomed throughout my mind. You know how to answer him. A thought occurred. There were other ways I could have gone about it, but that voice had given me some sense of hope towards this idea working. 430, it's Hella. 450, it's whatever you want it to be. I'll be honest. Doing it with Curtis was an even weirder start than my first time with Mason. But I grew into it faster, having practiced plenty with Mason in our short time together. Of course, I had to get used to some newer positions and acts on the spot. But I think I did well. I walked out of his apartment that night with a solid $50. It went into a box labeled Kelsey when I got home. Lying in bed that night... My heart ached in guilt, but I couldn't find tears to spill. I found a fantastic solution to my own problem and Kelsey's, regardless of how wrong it was. I had grown bored of conversation. I wanted men of action. They were easy to find, mostly because I'd already encountered a lot of them when I was dating. Now I had a new service to offer them. I had my preferences and my no-nos though they weren't impossible to obtain. Just $300, 
and I let you play around in a tighter place. That was on the steeper end of my prices though. Typical jobs paid one to two hundred bucks, plus extra charges depending on the arrangements or props. Before all of this, I never would have imagined there were guys willing to pay that much for some tender loving. But there it was. It wasn't always for sex though. During a few jobs, my thighs were just a pillow for introverts to rest their heads on. I listened as they poured their hearts out to a stranger they had paid for, responding with an occasional, I see, or, mm hmm, to comfort them. I felt a little guilty sometimes exploiting these lonely guys, but they were the ones paying for it, and it seemed to make them feel better. So the feeling would subside as quickly as it had came. When it came to Paul, it was more a feeling of anxiousness than guilt. Whenever he would hire me for an evening, something just seemed off. I treated his nights just like any other guy looking for some comfort instead of loving. But he seemed interested in taking a third path. He always seemed more interested in getting to know more about me. I had a feeling about where this was going, with it becoming evidently clear the last night I spent with him. His hands gripped mine like a vice, refusing to let me go. He was sweating profusely, and his eyes were wide in some paranoid fear. Hella, please, just give me a chance, he cried, tears rolling down his cheeks. I know you're better than this, sleeping around with other guys, just please. I couldn't see this going anywhere good. So I just left as I had after our first date, leaving the extra $500 on his nightstand. The size of that bonus alone showed how desperate he'd become. He tried to obtain my services still after that night, but I blocked his number and would ignore him in public. Once, he showed up at my usual bar and threatened to turn me into the police, blubbering that it was the last thing he wanted to do, but that he would have no other choice. Luckily, Curtis and Dennis were there to take care of him and toss him out. I made sure to give them each a good time for half price. Turning to my friends for support had become difficult. It didn't take long after starting to raise enough money to fix Kelsey's car, and I presented it to her earnestly. It was hard to make her accept it, especially after she dragged the truth of its source out of me. She seemed a bit concerned when I told her, but I promised her that things were fine. I mean, yeah, of course I worry that something could happen. It's just, I don't know, it's just kind of weird. Was her response. The awkwardness carried over to the rest of the group once they heard about it. Eating lunch together wasn't the same. Asking me about anything seemed like a chore to them. Like a series of stones over a raging river, one must carefully step across to avoid being swept up. Amy would ask what the job was like sometimes, but I never really had an answer for her. I got less calls to come over and party, probably after having been interrupted while getting a facial from Clark. But at the time, it didn't really matter. It just opened up more opportunities for work, and it was satiating my desires. Money and sex. Calling it a dream job would be really strange, but it really was. My body craved the connection and my heart didn't care for using the same guy over and over. It needed variety. 
and I could use my studies to stretch the right muscles to make myself more flexible, prevent injuries during the job, or help treat ones that I happened to get. And the pay was fantastic, of course. At first, I was usually shy, until that confidence rush kicked in. But as time wore on, the voice grew quieter and spoke less frequently until it finally stopped. I guess I didn't need prompting anymore. I embraced this life. I guess that's why he came after me. Shoving that knife's edge into my back that cold night in mid-March, forcing me to his van. I didn't need to guess who it was. I had seen him watching me for the past few days from his car. Before I'd move elsewhere to get out of his sight, reaching out to the police wasn't the most optimal plan. They'd been interested in just what I was up to when he was stalking me. I had felt a single trickle of blood running down my back, but it could not match the number of my fearful goosebumps. Once inside his van, I figured he would be taking me back to his place, to sit in his bedroom surrounded by good boy bibles and cheap comic books, and listen to his offer once again. That's why I was surprised when he stopped the car, quite suddenly, and reached over for me. Choking usually costs an extra 50. It was a kink I always concerned myself about, but at least the dirty-minded ones knew to be somewhat gentle about it. Paul wasn't, and that was his intent, feeling his fingers coil around my neck the thumbs pressing into the space underneath my larynx. My heart cried out, and I struggled to separate his hands, but they wouldn't budge. Air raced from my lungs, trying to escape before their only path out was blocked by Paul's grip. My eyeballs pushed against the edges of their sockets, seeking freedom from the rest of my form. I thought he had tears in his own eyes, too. As he squeezed harder, making the night grow darker. I tried to save you, but you wouldn't let me. I can't let you go on sinning, Hella. After a little while, the lights came back on. I had been unconscious and everything was just pitch black. But just like that, exactly like a light switch, I could see again. I couldn't move though. I struggled to flop an arm around, to twitch my leg, to speak, to scream, to breathe. My body was having none of that. Paul drove to the edge of the harbour and got out. I could make out the glow of the two brilliant bridges in the distance before he yanked my corpse out of the car. Losing his grip, my head was smashed against a stone on the shore. He cursed, then picked me back up as blood oozed from my cracked skull, like amber from a tree. I could feel something being tied around my wrists and ankles while my pale face sat in the mud of the shore. I recall the water's edge slowly consuming my feet, with the cold of the harbour climbing up my body. The sensation gave me some energy, whatever form of consciousness this was. The drop into the water made it worse. He put me in face first. Guess I didn't deserve to observe the stars in his mind. But that didn't stop me from continuing to feel everything. 
Water surged through empty passages, quickly entering and filling me up. Though I couldn't breathe, my mind was petrified even more than before. Still trying to make my body breathe or move, I could feel the weight of the liquid in my lungs, my stomach everywhere it could reach. I didn't hear anything else from my murderer. I simply drifted down into the murky depths. And depths they were. As I sank, I could feel this strange consciousness I'd come to recognize as my soul drift apart from my body until I could clearly see the horrified expression on my face. The horror came not from the bubbles escaping my closed mouth or the light bloodstains that were slowly being washed away. It was the eyes, those wide, unblinking, empty eyes spoke so much in their silence. And as my corpse hit the harbor's floor, I continued downwards, being pulled through the very earth itself. The taste of dirt filled my spirit's mouth. The rocks left gashes across my arms and legs, and the magma seared everything else. For thousands of kilometers, I slowly sunk into the true depths, burning and screaming the whole way without a chance to rest or die. Then, I arrived in hell. Well, well. The beginning of a great tale, no doubt. I can't imagine what awaits her murderer once he dies. And I have to wonder what she'll be doing whilst down there in hell. Being tortured, or doing the torturing? Hmm. My brain keeps thinking that she may be a succubus once down there. A succubus is a demon that feeds on mortals via sex. And in going to hell, she may take on a new form with new skills. This story could go any which way though, and I hope you join me for the ride. Wednesday will be the next act, and I'm going to go through all five acts of this tale. I wouldn't leave you all hanging, so I can't wait till Wednesday. Folks, thank you so much for listening, and I just wanted to read out an iTunes review that's been sent to me recently, titled Amazing by Lizzie F. Baby. I love this podcast. I was hooked from the first episode I listened, and have been listening now for almost two years. My goodness, you legend, mate. Audio is awesome and sound effects are perfect. This man has an amazing and versatile voice. Oh, that's so lovely. That is perfect for a spooky podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Lizzie F. Baby. Having a versatile voice is something I strive for, so I really appreciate that. You listeners are the best. So giving. If you want to leave an iTunes review, click on my iTunes page in the episode notes, the podcast logo, and then leave a review that way. I know it's not super easy, so I do appreciate every single one of you that leaves a review. Thank you. Now, mates, have a great night or a lovely day. And as always, till next, we meet.